Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Deacon John and Joe, and this is... Stuff You Should Know, Catholic. (laughs) We're not Stuff You Should Know. They might be wondering that after that medical marijuana one, if it's just stuff, but it's still Catholic. Catholic. Well, Stuff You Should Know is the the FASA podcast. Yeah, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. We're in the future. We're in the future. This is so... 2011, woo! This is so weird, because we're recording this before Christmas break, and uh, but this is coming out after, so it's 2011. We got to live in the future, man. 2011, we're in the future. I hope in the future I go skiing as much as I did this week. I was going to say you look very happy today. <laughs> I do. I that, that my my smile is even exaggerated because of the wind burn I have on my cheeks. Yeah, we had some fun this week. Uh, Copper got some some fresh snow, freshies as they say out here, and. Uh, I don't know who says that, but it's ridiculous. I'm sure Mike Rapp says it. Mike Rapp, yeah, Father Mike Rapp. <laughs> sicky, sick, nar, nar, pow, sicky, man. Sicky, nar, pow, uh, and you shredded the nar this week. It was a lot of fun. We had two study days in seminary this week, so how our seminary works. It's a wonderful thing. Wonderful and thing. Great we have gift. A, uh, The finals week is one of the most glorious weeks of the year because you'll have last day of class, and then you'll have a study day. Yeah. And then you'll have a finals day, and you'll have like one final, and then you'll have another study day, exactly. and then another finals day. And it's like this great rhythm of like, take a test, have like 48 hours to study for the next one. Exactly. And if you're like John and I, we study all semester. So, so the finals, we go, skiing. <laughs> we go skiing on our study days. Now, uh, I, I hope, studied for my finals, though. And I, I hope think the well. formation priests are listening, to, but I don't think they are. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think we have to worry about that. As long as they don't listen until May when I'm ordained. So, oh, no, I'm thanks for throwing me under the bus. Yeah, exactly. No, the uh, it was a great, uh, great couple of days. And, uh, yeah, we're, you know, Joe, we're coming up on uh, almost a year now of uh, Catholic stuff you should know. We've done, I think we're at about right around 35, 36 podcast which is hard to believe uh, and wow, man what well. a joy it's been and i think one of the great uh the great joys of the last year has been um just all the emails the people we just love hearing from people just wild stuff uh that god is doing through this it's, it's just kind of crazy like we always say we get to the end of these and we're like wow that was terrible and then we publish it <laughs> yeah. and people listen to it and actually enjoy it so um yeah, what, a, what a gift it is to us uh, no for that's us to true do this. it's definitely one looking back on the year i mean i've, I've only been doing it for the last four or five months uh, since Mike got assigned in Craig, and uh, it really has been a great grace. Just, I always, at the end of the year, in the beginning of the new year, it's always good to look back and just, what are the great graces of the year? And this has just definitely been one of them for me. Now, do you have a New Year's resolution regarding the uh, podcast? Maybe in a couple of weeks when New Year's actually comes around. I hadn't even thought about it, really. Regarding well, the podcast, that's a good question. If you think we have, we should have any New Year's resolutions, please let us If you have one know. for us, that'd be great. <laughs> we're, uh, you know, after this one, we're going to hopefully be in, in Crested Butte, one of the mountain towns. So we're going to be getting together with some friends, and we're going to Hopefully tie a few new people in. Uh, one of the old ones, Father Mike, we'll be seeing him. So hopefully you'll be hearing from him. kind of depends. But, uh, yeah, we're just we're excited to, to be coming up on uh, year two here of Catholic Stuff You Should Know. God is good. With that and uh, let's uh, begin. All right. Well, that wasn't much of a segue, but uh, let's talk about what we're talking about today. All right. Um, this is an interesting topic, I think. Maybe you guys... We say that every week. <laughs> what a- it, it could be incredibly boring for y'all, but hopefully you do find it as interesting as I do. Um, the topic has to do with something I don't think we've really dealt directly with, um, and that is fundamental theology. Fundamental theology. Now, that might be a, a... You know, you might be like, what the heck is fundamental theology? What does that have to do with? Um, well, many people have heard of the term apologetics, and fundamental theology is kind of a descendant of apologetics. Apologetics has always been seen as like defending the faith, it was really big in the early 20th century, uh, defending the faith against, you know, some of the stuff going on in evolution during the day. Atheism was really big. Um, I mean, it still is big now, but there was, there was this idea of 
apologetics, which was like um, kind of a, the arguments for God's existence, the arguments for you know the credibility of faith, the arguments for this and that. So apologetics is a fancy word for defending the faith. Exactly, but there's a connotation with with apologetics that is um, that it's a negative one uh, that it's associated with having an argument. As as opposed to having a dialogue, yeah, interesting. And so there's there is there is a change in terminology in the middle part of the 20th century uh, in a lot of Catholic theological circles, uh, moving away from this idea of apologetics, which is has more of a negative kind of defense, like defending the faith, almost like a militaristic thing. And not that the faith doesn't need to be defended, and sometimes we need to do that. Um, but people aren't converted usually by arguments. People's hearts aren't changed because you've proved that they're wrong. Their hearts are changed because you speak Christ to them, and they see Christ in you. And so, and this, and with this kind of shift from that kind of approach uh, to arguments towards a dialogue approach, and more ecumenical, uh, speaking with our Protestant brothers and sisters, um, or our other Christian brothers and sisters, and and speaking with any brothers in the human family or sisters in the human family, um, having a dialogue about these things and and promoting a dialogue and, and conversation about this. And with that shift came the shift from apologetics to fundamental theology. Interesting. So, so, so fundamental theology is something that came out of apologetics with a desire to have maybe kind of a fuller expression, maybe bring back kind of a sense of the dialogue as a part of it. Exactly. So when we talk about fundamental theology, it's the most fundamental things like God's existence, how tradition works, how the church works. Uh, the Gospels, yeah. things like that. You know, one last thing about apologetics. One of the, the best apologists I know is uh, our buddy of ours, Father David Nix, who's up in Boulder. Really? He's a, yeah, a newly ordained priest. He's just a fabulous apologist. He's just got this one of these kind of memories that he can just recall anything. But he said something to me one time interesting. He goes, you know, it's, apologetics is not enough. He said, apologetics will rarely win you souls, but you can lose souls by not knowing it. Hmm. I thought that was a really interesting that thing. That is a great A lot of times you don't point. win people by by putting it out there, but you can lose people if you can't defend these things. And you Absolutely. Can't That's well, hopefully this is, this is part of what we're going to do today. Good. Um, the main topic, the, I guess if I had to give it a topic, uh, give it a title, it would be the historical authenticity of the Gospels. Okay. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to, when we look think about the Gospels, a lot of times you'll hear people be like, okay, you know, the Gospels don't have anything to do with history. I mean, there's no way to ground the history of Jesus because the only sources we have are the Gospels, which are just kind of like theological narratives mythological, legendary character with no historical, real credibility, right? Right. Um, and it makes, I mean, this statement reflects the mindset of our culture, which is growing a lot in technology, growing a lot in science. And the more we advance in these things, there's this increasing skepticism regarding some things that we find in the Gospels, namely the miracles. The miracles. The miracles of Jesus. When you think about, I mean, you can read the Gospels, and a lot of people will be like, I believe Jesus existed, he's a great teacher, you know, he did a lot of great things. Oh, did he actually heal that blind man? Did he actually multiply all the loaves? Did he actually do these things? Ooh, that we get a little iffy on that, but we we like his teaching, you know. Um, but when we reject the gospels, we reject them because of the miracles, right? Um, and so it's important to kind of see, well, what is the historical credibility of these things? Are they? Did this really happen in history? Exactly. Can, and can we know that? And is there a way to know that? Right. And that's so, a scary. That's a scary question, you know. Exactly. I mean, because the, the account of the we have in the gospels are, you know. They're, they're rife with these inexplicable supernatural events categorized by a lot of people as just myth and legend, not history. Right. So what's the credibility? So basically what we're going to talk about, we're going to try to respond to this objection by applying criteria, uh, the same criteria for historical authenticity that's used by a lot of secular historians to, you, you know, to determine the authenticity of any ancient writing. Right. So the same criteria they use to say, is this authentic? 
we're going to apply that to, to the scriptures and see how they match up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and if this works out well, if this gospel stand up to that criteria, people who reject the gospels based on miracles, they, they can do that. But what they're doing that, the principles behind that have nothing to do with history right. and the criteria we have for looking at history. Right. It has more to do with their own presuppositions, their own principles, but they can't say that it's not historical, you know? So let's do, let's do it. And we're going to kind of go through a little by little. Some of them are more interesting than others. So you can you can shoot me down or be like, all right. Uh, well, I'm a little rusty on this stuff. So it's, uh, we'll see. it's, it's a been good four refresher. years. And, uh, now, wait a second, though. Didn't, uh, if I'm not mistaken, your midterm exam in this class, uh, Fundamental Theology, didn't most of your classmates fail the... Uh, <laughs> you don't want to bring this up. Okay. The, uh, I'm just saying, you know, I'm a little nervous about uh, the, the credibility, the historical credibility of the uh, the guy who's about to give this... Well, uh, hey, I got a B plus on my You my did. Test, you did. Okay. Which just making wasn't, sure. I, I wasn't too proud of because I don't think I deserved it. Anyway, um, so the first criteria is called something called the criteria of multiple attestation. Um, basically, this is met if there are concordant testimonies from various sources that are not suspect of being interdependent. So, okay, now hold on a second. Hold on a second. Now, this a lot of is words. what we're talking about. Sorry, this is. I'm just been a couple of years since I've done fundamental theology. Bring it back. These are the principles that we use to um, understand the historicity of any ancient text. Exactly. Okay. Anything you'd get from like, you know, if we find a I'm text. I'm thinking of Homer. For example, exactly Homer or something in Egypt, like some historical document that we find in the Far East or something. Well, we look at these different criteria: is this authentic? Is this what kind of literature is this? You know, how okay. do we examine it? So that we're going to use these criteria. These are the same criteria used for things like those. So the first thing is multiple attestation, which is like multiple. Basically, people. are there multiple other other accounts of something similar that aren't interdependent? I mean, we have the four Gospels; we right. know that, and they're written by Christians. You know, so you can suspect there's some there's some either directly or indirectly uh, related to one another as far as where they're getting their sources, where they're getting their information, and there's and there's legitimate evidence for that. But there's also other things. Uh, there's something called a Q source, which is very similar to uh, it's an ancient source that's very similar to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, I think. Um, so that's one other source. There's also I mean, and that's there's a lot of stuff that's very overlap with the Gospels there. Um, there's also differing gospel accounts. Uh, there's the apocryphal gospels. Now, the apocryphal gospels, you, the one that's more well known by some um, <clears throat> uh, historical critical people, are the Gospel of Thomas. Um, and obviously, well, if you're familiar with this, it's not uh, a rendering of the. It's not the same gospel, obviously, that we have. We don't take it as a canon of scripture. But what it does have is a a man named Jesus from Galilee who is a, mil- a miracle worker. Um, and I, I really want to focus on the miracles here because this is the – people could t- contend about – you know, people don't really contend too much about what Jesus said. I mean, maybe they do, but the real thing is the miracles. Yeah, that seems to be the sticking point. Everyone everyone likes Jesus. Oh, what a nice teacher. He taught mm-hmm. all these nice things. He said all these nice things, love one another, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then he does something ridiculous that uh, defies nature, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. So we have um, these, the apocryphal – and there's multiple apocryphal gospels uh, that we don't take – uh, as revelation, but they do talk about a man named Jesus. That's a little different than the Jesus we find in the Gospels. But he is—he's the—he's the same character, I guess, who's okay. from Nazareth, performing miracles, doing things. Uh, also, the Jews have uh, their Talmud, right? Which is a—what what was the Talmud exactly? It's just about—it's the. Re- it's the uh, um, I was just talking about this with Larkin today. Um, it's the commentary on the uh, Torah. Torah. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. So the Babylonian Talmud actually refers to Jesus at one point, a man named Jesus who was crucified in in uh, Jerusalem um, and who was known for being a sort like performing. Now, is that the Talmud or are you talking about Josephus? 
Because there's a first century Jewish historian as well. No, this is Babylonian Talmud. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, he, he talks about Jesus who, is a, who uh, performs sorcery. Uh, okay. You know, the Jews obviously sing a sorcery, but, you know, from our perspective, we right. see them as miracles. You right. know, things that are supernatural, inexplicable. But non believers are attesting to the exactly, historical. Non, exactly. Excellent. Exactly. So, criteria of multiple attestation is come from different angles. And all, we also have stuff from the Romans uh, talking about the Christians, obviously. And who you'll follow this person, this miracle worker named Jesus. Okay. Um, so there's, that's criteria is fulfilled. The next criteria is the criteria of discontinuity. Um, it's, or you could really call it the criteria of uniqueness. Basically is Jesus reducible to either something that happened before him or something that happened after him? Like, could you reduce Jesus down, uh, to concepts found in Judaism before him or concepts found in the early church afterwards? Or is there something unique about him? Is there something that's original? That's like, yeah, there wasn't anything, you know, uh, he, you can't just explain this character away by right. there's this tradition, this school, and they all kind of converge in this one, you know, figure that you know we we just name Jesus or right, whatever. Right. Um, so you know we know Jesus is a man from a particular social environment and tradition, um, but although he is, he's a, he's a unique being without precedent. For example, he worked the way Jesus worked miracles. This is interesting. He did it in a way like nobody had before, um, because the prophets would always work miracles in the name of God. They would do things, right? Right. And even after Jesus, they would perform miracles. You know, Peter or John would perform miracles saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, be healed. Jesus alone is the only one to perform miracles in his own name with a simple command, usually accompanied by maybe a simple gesture like a touching or something like that, but just saying, be clean. In his his authority. In his his authority, with not in anybody else's name but his own, be clean, arise. So that's something you need. We don't find anything like that anywhere else. Uh, so this is one of the criteria they look for. Like, is there anything unique? And there's something here that's unique and something changed in history because of this pinned down to this one person. Interesting. Uh, so can you, is that reducible just to, to this someone who doesn't believe in Christ can say that, can mm-hmm. say, whoa, this is profoundly unique um, in the midst of kind of the Jewish tradition that he's coming out of and then the Christian tradition, which is proceeding from him. Yeah, it's interesting. So, and then, and there's other things too. I mean, he called God Abba, which is something that nobody had seen before. Uh, his attitude towards sinners and Lepers especially was very contradictory to the attitudes of the Jews. There, that lepers were right. seen as like people who were they have sinned and so they're unclean, and so it was actually part of the religion to kind of put them on the outside. And so there's something that changed there with Jesus as well. Something that's unique. Uh, so that's one. The criteria. Another one is a criteria of continuity. Now and this has to do with whether or not there's continuity between the miracles of Jesus and the message of Jesus. See, this is interesting because so a lot of so many people try to do this. They try to take. They want to take Jesus's message and they want to say. Oh, you know, love one another, love your enemies. This is very good. Miracles, uh, I don't know about that. But can you really separate the miracles from the message of Jesus? Mm-hmm. I mean, just by volume alone, I think the miracles are make up like something like 31% of just the substance of the Gospel of Mark and like 25% of the rest of the Gospels. Like it's a, it's it's a huge a substantial chunk. section, yeah. But not only is it a substantial section, so much of the, of the miracles give meaning to what Jesus is saying. Like he says something, and then the miracle actually proves it. And a great example of this is actually our gospel. I think this past week or maybe the week before, um, well, now it'll be a month long when this podcast yeah. is published. But uh, in Advent, it was uh, the gospel where the disciples of John say, you know, they go to Jesus, and John tells them to ask, you know, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? And this is this is the big theme of Jesus's preaching: is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's at hand, the kingdom of heaven's here. I am the Messiah. I am the Anointed One. Um, and how do we know the kingdom is ushered in? The prophecies say at that time when the kingdom comes, the dead will rise and the 
blind will see and the deaf will hear. All these prophecies will be fulfilled. And so when Jesus' message, his main message is the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is at hand. I'm here. And his miracles are fulfilling that. His miracles are raising the dead and healing the blind and healing the deaf. Um, So his miracles, you can't separate the two because they're so wound up with one another. That's really big. And in the Second Vatican Council, you know, uh, 45 years ago, I was talking about this. They're saying uh, the word, this is in Dave Verbum, they say the words and the deeds of Jesus cannot be separated, but they have to be understood as one thing. So it's interesting to think if someone was to just take, like Thomas Jefferson did this, and I think we've mentioned this in the past, cut out, he cut out the miracles from the mm-hmm. Gospels. But you can't really understand the sayings, the message, the um, the words of Jesus without having the, the miracles and, the, and the, the power that he does and he shows forth with that. You can't separate them. Yeah, you're just kind of like taking these little statements without, w- by missing the reality of who, the, who was them this of person. power, yeah. Interesting. It's, it is really interesting. Um, another criteria is this. Uh, this is interesting. So when a, when a piece of the gospel fits perfectly into its immediate or immediate context and is completely coherent within the internal structure, this is basically like a criteria for internal intelligibility. Um, Basically, if it fits perfectly into the structure, you have to assume that that whatever piece is fitting into that structure is correct. It's not like out of place. It's not like in the gospel. It's like, whoa, that's glaring. You know, that was probably added in after. You know, there was this account. Of, basically, the whole point is like there was an account of Jesus, and then afterwards they wanted to make him God, so they like stuck on and right, pasted on of, these miracle stories. You right. know, um, is this what happened? Um, and so, if this, if if a if a datum is in the gospel that fits into the whole structure, and without it, the, sh- the gospel wouldn't be complete. Uh, you have to assume that that datum is correct, and that's true. This is a historical thing. This is how they use it. Um, and we see this with the gospel. The big example, the big example of this is uh, the Gospel of John, because John, how he how he tells the story, is you know, God, Jesus has these messages he's going to send. It's very similar to the last one. Um, but he, the miracle teaches it. Mm-hmm. It brings it out. For instance, you know, you have the miracle in in John of the healing of the blind man. And there's this long story. He heals the blind man. But at the end of that, he goes in a discourse about how he is the light of the world. And you have the story about the multiplication of the loaves in the beginning of the Gospel of John. And then right after that, you, he goes in the story about how he is the bread of life. And then you have the miracle of Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead. And then he talks about, I am the resurrection and the life. Interesting. You know, like it's so, you can't take out the miracle right, stories as right. if they're added on. Like, no, when this was written, and we talked about this last week, when this was written in, in 99, 99, the Gospel yeah, of John, right? Um, it was, this was all there together. This, these miracles, these weren't an add on later after the fact when this gospel is already written somebody just threw these miracles on you right. this is part of the structure of the gospel right. you can't just kind of take some of it and leave some of it behind um this is a really interesting one too and this makes a lot this made a lot of sense to me when this I read one's it. number four mm-hmm. okay this is number four this is called the criterion of divergent interpretations with substantial agreement so basically what this means is that you have multiple attestations right you uh-huh. have multiple sources um unless for this for this one let's take the four gospels um, and you have divergent, you know, they diverge in some areas, but there's substantial agreement. Like with basically what they're saying is, is the same thing. Although maybe some there details is. are off, which makes sense. I mean, if we, if you go to a, you know, uh, I don't know, Regis football game or something like that with me, you might go there and, and see some things and have some conversations and if you're telling somebody about it. You're going to give an account of it and what happened in the game, um, and I'll give an account of it to somebody else. And our, our stories will be a little different. You know, you will emphasize different things. You have different conversations. I saw the same reality from a different angle. You know, I had a different view. Um, so our, our interpretations are going to diverge a little bit. 
but the substantially substantially agreement. And this is a huge one they look at um, because basically to sum it up, too perfect agreement. If everything just was perfectly agreement, that really begets distrust. While substantial agreement in accounts, despite some differences and details, inspires trust. It's like, okay, this is real. Like different people are talking about it, and the different accounts they're they're divergent in some areas, but substantial. It's the same reality. It's like in the last podcast you were talking about how the um, the scriptures are one hundred percent human and one hundred percent divine. So they're fully inspired, but they're also fully human. And if there was just the human element missing, you could tell this was this was fabricated. Absolutely. But, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it makes a lot of sense because that's definitely true to our own experience. Um, and this is the last one here. Uh, basically, this is the criterion of necessary explanation. Um, and this is it's kind of hard to get your head around at first, but I think it's it's not too complicated. Basically, if a sizable, if a lot of facts and data require some sufficient explanation, um, and they are given an explanation that clarifies and brings them all together and harmonizes and combines them all, uh, and without whatever that explanation is, it would just be a puzzle. It wouldn't make any sense. If all this stuff comes together, all this data on all these stories, then we can conclude that we're in the presence of something that's authentic. Wow. So basically, a deed or action or attitude or statement of Jesus, if it explains, you have to, there's a lot of things you got to explain when it comes to Jesus. I mean, you really, you got to explain, you know, why were the people excited about him and believed that he was the Messiah? Why did the Jews want to kill him? Why did Jesus claim, why did he claim to have power over life? death, sin, and sickness? Why did he claim to be the son of the father sharing all power and authority with him? You know, and then you got to explain all the stuff that happened after him. Why were his followers, you know, enduring suffering and torturing to the point of death and even, and even to death before saying that he was not the son of God? Like, you got to explain why, why was this happening? Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, this is one of the, crazy. This is the, this is the utter remarkability of our faith. But what is the explanation for all of this? Um, but if, if, John, he was God, if he was God coming to the earth, wouldn't this explain his miracles? Wouldn't this explain the excitement of the people and the fear of the Jews? Wouldn't this explain the profundity of the message he proclaimed just on a human level? Like, like the stuff he was saying that was so unique and so powerful. Wouldn't this explain the matchless, matchless love that he had in his death and his passion? And not to mention all the fulfillments of the Old Testament prophecies. If he was God, wouldn't all this stuff be explained? And, you know, if he was God, of course, you would almost expect miracles to happen, you know? So it's just an interesting thing. I mean, usually these criteria aren't applied to uh, God (laughs) in history. So there has has to be some flexibility there. but. Using the criteria, if you really apply them, there's the, you have to explain some of these things, and it really makes it interesting. So, but I, isn't it interesting that the things that we grapple with the most, namely the diversity um, and things that uh, seeming contradictions, the paradoxes of the gospels, the me- the messiness, so to speak, that actually proves the historical authenticity. Exactly, isn't that funny? Yeah, they, it's why it's why it's it's so. Human. We think the problems of the gospels, the problems of the the history, um, are are. Um, downplay this but they actually prove it yeah, i mean something we have this idea that the gospel just kind of like fell from the sky into people's laps and they're just like there's just completely devoid of of human the human reality yeah. and then the limits i guess of our experience and our ability to communicate our experience uh, but at the same time can be infallible with with the truth that's revealed well that was uh was. that was some heady stuff oh i know and i'm I sorry think, if this uh, was like way over no i think you uh you did a good job presenting it i would give you 
B plus, I think. <laughs> That's pretty much about sounds about right. Actually, <laughs> now I'd give you more than B plus. Oh man, but uh, I, I do think it's. I, I find it very helpful to not just for um, non-believers, but also just for believers, just to kind of to know that you know when we read these gospels and, and we hear criticism or we hear kind of th- something's poo pooed in the media or in the secular world, to know, actually no, there is there is credibility to the faith that we have. Our faith is not without reason. It might not be based completely on reason. I don't get to my the, f- the things that I believe. I don't climb there, be- like, and every step is reason. But it's not a crime against reason to believe what I believe. In fact, it's very reasonable and it's very credible. And it's also important just to at least for non-believers to at least take it seriously and to say, all right, maybe there is, maybe there are some things that they have to answer. Um, and again, this isn't to promote arguments or you know uh, to win a battle here. Uh, it's about winning a battle with the enemy over the hearts of those that Christ came to love and came to save and to really just promote a dialogue to talk about these things and to, to take Christ seriously. But we um, can have confidence in the historicity of the Gospels. We, we can. I mean, this is, and this is something that people are trying to bring down left and right. Uh, if you read newspapers, you read magazines, you'll see it everywhere. Right. Uh, but there is, there, is, there is credibility here. And one final point I would make on that is uh, John Henry Newman, now blessed Cardinal Newman had a great line. He used to say, 10,000 doubts never make, or I'm sorry, 10,000 questions never make a doubt. Hmm. And so we can have questions regarding the uh, diversity of accounts, the uh, complications of uh, reactions and, and historical and uh, cultural complexes to these things, but that never adds up to a doubt. Right. You can have faith and you can ask all kinds of questions. And that's exactly what this requires. And this is what does. That this is, is awesome. Good work, dude. We got any emails? We do. Let's get one here from. Uh... Shoot, I'm sorry. Let's see. Oh, this is a great one. Actually, this is probably one of the coolest emails I've ever got. Oh man, I'm getting excited. Yeah, this one's from Brandon. Brandon. Uh, Brandon says, "I have been a fan of the podcast ever since January. So this is almost a year long. We listened from the beginning. I didn't find it until the end of the month. Ever since my com- my conversion after high school about nine years ago, I've had an intense desire to learn about the faith." The podcast is a great is great by touching on many things that aren't usually found in many of the books I have. This podcast has been with me through my current deployment in Afghanistan, so he's, he's in the military here. Uh, when, whenever I have the opportunity to connect to the internet, I download the podcasts I've missed. It's been a great convenience for me um, to. Con- oh, I'm sorry, I can't read this thing from behind here. <laughs> it's been a great convenience for me to have the podcast to connect to a greater Catholic community that's invisible to me right now. We will go months before seeing a priest in the remote bases we get assigned to. Months before seeing a priest. Can you imagine that's crazy. that? That's just wild, especially for a guy try, really trying to live his faith and, yeah. and really just not having that community. He says, my tour is almost up, and I just want to thank you again for being so generous with your knowledge and talents to deliver an exclusively Catholic message to those of us who don't get to hear it often enough. I cannot wait to get home to Denver, he's a Denver guy, uh, and get back to life as God intended. Well, that is, that is uh, definitely... One of our the best emails, and, and Brandon, thank you for what you're doing. I, I come from a military family, so uh, it kind of just speaks right to my heart that he's in, on a tour right now in Afghanistan, and uh, we'll be praying for you in particular. And uh, yeah, thanks for your message, man. Thanks for listening. Yeah, that's it's, it's really awesome. I mean, it's a uh, it's an honor. That's an honor for us that he would say that. So. It really is an honor, and it was just one of those things that we just don't we just don't know. We're just so happy to hear these things because yeah. we don't. Uh, you know, we're just up here chatting into microphones to each other. Yeah, not knowing really looking at your ugly mug here, and <laughs> yeah, uh, really. it's actually doing good. So. Um, but it's it's beautiful, man. So we're praying for you, Brandon. Uh, um, we're you know happy that you're going to be ending up your tour soon, be able to get back home uh, to life as God intended, as you say. So, yeah, thanks for listening. 
And any uh, comments, questions, emails, suggestions, Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Mm-hmm.